Hello, and welcome to I Heard It on a Podcast, our little corner of the Wild West. And you're rocking some nice Molson muscle over there. My name is Isaiah. <laughs> My name is Riley. I have no idea what that means. I know. I didn't either until I saw it. So Molson muscle is the same as a beer belly. Molson is apparently a brand of beer. And so to rock some Molson muscle means you've got a beer belly. You're not actually. I just had to say it to someone couldn't say it to myself so you know how it you is you could say i'm rocking a nice rocking a nice molson muscle here i could i didn't though so that's, that's nice I, molson, molson muscle. muscle and i feel like since we're not canadians we can say that to people yeah. and they won't even know what like, we're saying dude sick molson muscles yeah like it. You are ripped. Man, it's just the biggest Molson muscle I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. You must work that Molson muscle every day. Every day. Like multiple times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's Topic Thunder. Topic Thunder. Yes. You didn't wake my child this time. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> and today, we're talking about terraforming, but not Mars this time. A different <gasps> planet. Shocker. Today we're going to terraform Venus. Yep. Just the two of us and our <laughs> listeners yep. are going to solely terraform Venus. We're also going to have a heated debate. Probably. On words. Kind of. Okay. Yep. And we're talking about water sports, mm-hmm. which is great. And I mean, we talked about buying a boat last week, so yep. I'm assuming it's this a, is going to be it's a continuation. A con- yeah, it's a continuation great. of that conversation and also inspired by my recent rafting trip yes great i love it well let's dive into it so let's talk (laughs) my dad and i didn't know it okay (laughs) well hopefully you did (laughs) all right so let's talk about terraforming venus okay so we talked i think our first or one of our first episodes ever was about terraforming mars i think so um and we've talked a lot about the potential of living on mars as humans on this podcast and it's kind of the like leading kind of thing that people are focusing on in terms of humans living off of Earth on a different planet and kind of colonizing and um, terraforming another planet. But we both watched a video last week um, that was kind of a thought project on what if we terraformed another planet instead of Mars. Their kind of argument was... Or maybe in addition to Mars. Or in addition to Mars. Maybe before Mars, it could be beneficial to do it in a different order. Um... But their argument was um, the gravity on Mars is too little and it causes like bone loss and osteoporosis and muscle loss from humans. You would have to work out hours and hours a, a day to yeah. not atrophy basically yeah. while living on Mars. Yep. And they also have less energy density in the form of like solar power and they mm-hmm. don't have an atmosphere so there's no wind power. Um, so you're and we don't know what other forms, forms of energy they have. Exactly. They being the Martians. The Martians have. <laughs> and they also are just consistently bombarded with radiation because they don't have a magnetosphere. So they are not protected from harmful radiation. So to live on Mars would pretty much mean living in bunkers for a while. And working out all the time. And all you do is you just go underground and you work out. And basically what your life would be like as a Martian colonist would be working out seeing no sunlight yep and probably eating the same like dehydrated processed meal all the time with the hope of in several decades or several centuries having a functioning magnetosphere and atmosphere and being able to start working on the surface Mm mm-hmm um, so it's definitely looking very bleak for like the first generation or two of Martian colonists. Which, to be fair, a terraforming project of any kind yes. is going to take centuries, yes. including the one that we're going to talk yes. about now. But the one that we're talking about is... Uh, it's vastly different in yeah. what needs to happen. It's like a sci-fi movie, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. weird. So basically... We can't terraform Venus right now. We're not quite technologically advanced enough to be able to do some of the projects needed to do this. But we're also technically not technologically advanced enough to terraform Mars. So, same scale level in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically, this is going to be a several hundred year process to make the surface livable and then a several thousand year process 
to make the surface like pleasant and earth-like. Um, basically, if I understand correctly, the first step is to cool Venus down because Venus is super hot. Mm-hmm. Venus is like the the pressure is way higher than Earth, and the there's way more CO two in the atmosphere. It's like ninety three percent as opposed to like point zero three percent CO two. Yes. Um, and so basically it's like the ultimate greenhouse and it's, it's hot because of the greenhouse right. effect. Yeah. And so you can melt lead on the surface of the planet. You can also like melt and get crushed on the surface of the planet. So yeah, anything, the, the difference in my mind, the main difference in the terraforming of Venus and Mars is we would go to Mars and like build stuff Right. versus Venus. We would have to do all of this from a distance Remotely. for like hundreds of yeah. years. We wouldn't step foot on Venus right. for hundreds of or right. thousands of years. Which is kind of interesting. And it kind of puts into perspective like this is probably going to need a little bit more technology mm-hmm. because with Mars, like all you have to do is get on the surface and then you can figure it out. But with Venus, you're like having to consistently, you know, do these huge construction projects and these huge like transversing distances and moving stuff around. Yeah, um, it's just a whole other level. But and, and by huge, you mean literally the size of planets. Yeah. Like the first step is to build a series of mirrors yep. to reflect and divert the sun's rays yep. away from Venus so that it can slowly cool down over right. like two or three hundred years, years. I think. And these literally have to be a specific like shape and specific arrangement so that the photons from the sun don't push them like into Venus and smash the mirror. So they're arranged so that the photons will all bounce around in a specific order to kind of keep them stationary. And then basically you just put Venus in the shade and you wait 200 years and it goes from like, you know, 90 degrees Celsius to negative 80 degrees Mm -hmm. Celsius and basically freezes over and all of the CO2 freezes and becomes like fancy CO2 oceans and you can go ice skate on CO2 and... All that fun stuff. Yeah, except you'd die. You would die. Suffocate and also freeze to death. But you'd die less fast than you would if you went to hot, crushy Venus. Yeah. You could, like, wear a spacesuit and not die immediately. But somewhere in that process, no, you said it would rain and then it would freeze, right? Yeah, because it would slowly, like, the CO2 would condense first. Mm -hmm. And it would rain for, like... Yeah, three, three, a long 30 time. years or something. And right? can you imagine how weird it'd be to be rained on by CO2? Yeah, pretty like, weird. I mean... I don't think that can happen here. <laughs> 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 but all I think every like climate change that's going to happen in this process is weird because the air in the sky just turns to water, falls out of the sky, becomes ice, and then you've mm-hmm. got just lakes of CO2. And so then the next step after that would basically be to send, I mean, at this point we could probably live on the surface, but it's going to take, you know, some doing. Um, but the proposed idea is to send like drones to cut chunks of CO2 ice off of the planet and use the rovers and drones and whatever to deposit them into mass accelerators, I think is what they were called. And this was something that was super cool to me and they just kind of like glossed over it in the video we watched. I think they've mentioned it in a previous one. Oh, have they? But they're like hyperdrive. They're kind of like yeah, rail guns. It's basically like a rail enormous gun. Enormous rail guns yeah. that can sh- immediately shoot off objects mm-hmm. into outer space. And it's instead of creating a bunch of rockets right. to send things off, like if you were cre- if you were sending off hundreds or thousands of um, some things yeah. in, off into space instead of creating thousands of rockets, you just create this kind of systematized rail gun yeah. to shoot things off into space. Right. They talked about it more in the episode about uh, uh, creating a Dyson sphere and mm. creating a whole yes. thing around the sun. Yeah. And that's a cool idea. Like, it's very sustainable. It's just using electricity. And they work really well on planets that don't have a thick atmosphere or as high a gravity mm-hmm. because it's easier to get stuff into orbit. So basically the idea was, hey, let's just take these giant chunks of CO2, yeet them into space <laughs> in yeah. a scientific fashion so that they'll all collect into a basically... A scientific yeet. A scientific yeet. So that they'll collect into basically a giant gas moon, just a frozen CO2 moon. 
and that'll orbit Venus to be used for something someday, maybe. Um, and the reason that you want to move the CO2 off of the planet is because then eventually you need to heat it up again. You can't leave it at negative 80 Celsius all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so you would get it all off the planet, and then once you've gotten it off the planet, then you can start to heat it up. But you can't just move the mirrors out of the way because then it'll just roast the planet again like it right. did. And I think... I'm trying to remember. I think it said like one Venus day was 116 or, or yeah. something like Earth days. And so the, you know, the dark side of the planet is going to be freezing and the hot side, the light side is going to be just roasted like on fire. So the solution was to build more planet sized mirrors to orbit Venus to like grab some light from some of the other mirrors that was reflecting off of Venus and kind of point it back. And they said you could control like exactly where you wanted the sun and for how long which is crazy to me like you've basically made full artificial days at that yeah. point and something else that's crazy and it makes sense like knowing how light works and knowing that it's like you know individual photons are actually like mass and they can bounce off stuff and like you know come around but it's crazy to me that at this point like this light has bounced off like eight mirrors and it still like can cause plants to photosynthesize and like provide energy and provide heat to the planet after it bounced off of eight mirrors and like gone around in this huge like circle around the planet. You know, it's just crazy that you can like direct it in that way and it still works. Yeah, because I never thought about the fact that like right now, if you had like plants in the shade and you just put a mirror next to them, and the sun was hitting the mirror and you directed it onto the plants, they would still get energy. That just kind of blows my mind a little bit, honestly. <laughs> I know. The, the very simple idea of a mirror is pretty fascinating, but mm -hmm. it's also really weird how they had to position the mirrors, some in front of the planet and some behind the planet, mm -hmm. and they reflect off of each other so that the energy from the light pushing on one side of the mirror yeah. can be balanced out from the light reflecting back onto the yeah. other side of the mirror so the mirrors don't get pushed into the planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And then you have like the mirrors behind the planet, like kind of anchored from the gravity of the planet. So as they get pushed, oh, they man. get pulled back. Like it's pretty mind bending. Yeah. We understand just barely enough to understand why they'd have to do it. Right. But not nearly the enough to scratch the surface of how you would ever do right. this. Yeah. Like there's no way that we could sit down and like start to plan no. this project. Like there's no way. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's anyone on earth who could. Probably not. Maybe and, Mr. NASA. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Mr. NASA is not interested in terraforming Venus. Probably not. He's focused on like the moon base. Right. And that's Smaller, like his most ambitious things. project. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, that's cool too. Yeah. But okay. I've, I, I have said this before on the podcast, but I really do think that Mr. NASA and the rest of us should probably focus all of our efforts and our resources on solving the problems that are more immediate here on Earth right. than spending how, who, however much money this would cost. Trillions of dollars. And literally hundreds of years to take a hot, desolate fireball and turn it into like a lush green yeah. place to live when we already have a lush green place to live. It's kind of like a flip. Like we're going to let this place become a hot, fiery fireball <laughs> yeah. and we'll make a new lush. And then we can just flip. We'll be like on Venus we and just, be like, we just, should terraform Earth. <laughs> yeah. That would actually be funny. Just keep jumping back and forth. We should, it would actually be a really interesting book to write is if, you know, 30,000 years in the future, mm. everyone lives on Venus yeah. And someone's like, we should terraform Earth. Yeah. And they like learn about the history of Earth. And yeah. How we used to live there. Right. And they like discover ancient civilizations yeah. beneath the lava pits That'd or something. That'd be crazy. That'd be pretty weird. Yeah. That'd be a Man. weird premise. I've been watching like The Expanse recently mm -hmm. and I just finished like the most recent season. And there's just so much like interesting stuff in this show and it's generally rooted like scientifically to be accurate like there's no weird like sci-fi like totally unrealistic things that happen mm -hmm. in the show um all of the like physics and all that stuff is accurate and there's so many things that happen in it that are obviously fiction but it's like man 
these are interesting things to think about, like for the actual future of humanity. Like it gets to the point where the people who live on Mars are basically a different civilization than the people who live on Earth because, you know, they don't frequently interact. They've been apart for hundreds of years. They kind of have to develop their own culture and way of doing things. So they basically become two different like species of human. Like they're still humans, but they just are totally different from each other. Um, And, you know, that would happen more as people like are on different planets. Like it could be that people who live on higher gravity planets are just muscular and they get huge and they're just like insane. And it becomes like unrecognizable compared to a normal human or whatever. And then there's just all of the stuff like, yeah, what if someday, you know, people go off and they live in a different galaxy or a different solar system or whatever for a hundred thousand years. And then they come back and they decide to like re-terraform our planet that hasn't been lived on. Like, that's such a cool idea. Yeah. We should write the book. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your eye on Audible for that one. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we've gotten to the point where. We've yeeted all the CO2 off the planet and we're starting to warm it back up. And so now it's a comfortable temperature. So then at that point, what do we do? Then we have to make oxygen. Yes. Or get oxygen. And I guess they basically just said we would bring water to do that, right? Yeah, we would have to bring water from Earth. I mean, from ice moons Mm. like Europa. We'd have to go and grab... Grab a moon. from Europa, yeah. get it over there yeah. somewhere, r- rain it down, yeah. like using a sky hook, yeah. sky hook it over here, yeah. snow it down on the earth, right. I mean on, on, on the Venus, Venus. yeah, on the <laughs> Venus, melt it somehow, and then once we got some liquid water, uh-huh. bring in some like uh, photosynthesizing microorganisms, sure. and then they start taking the co2 and converting it to o2 ah fancy making some oxygen just like they did on earth billions of years ago right and uh eventually we'll start having some oxygen nice and then we'll still have some carbon you know we'll plant some trees we'll bring in some animals apparently it'll still be thousands of years before we can just breathe this air but theoretically after a couple thousand years all we'll need is just our regular clothes right. and an oxygen mask, yeah. which seems doable. Yeah, like, I, mean, I could do that. It's basically like COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but always. Yeah, always, which is fine. Like, I can I can deal with an oxygen mask if I can walk around on Venus and, like, run my fingers through the weird Venus grass. And yeah, and see the weird stuff. Venus monkeys. Yeah. I think the biggest, most difficult part of this project is going to be the whole throwing a moon across the solar system and landing it on Venus thing. <laughs> that and building several enormous, like, mirrors yeah. the size of our planet. Yeah. But I can see, like, I can vaguely see the, how that would work. Like, we've built big space projects like the space station, and we've got a little the bit of... space station's like the size of your house. Yes, but it is like a construction project that was completed in space. Sure. So we have built things in space before okay so then it's just a logistical like how do we scale this but it's the same process like we know how to build stuff in space now okay the we have no idea how to move a moon (laughs) (laughs) no we'd have to like first figure out how to mine things in space right then figure out how to get them out of the orbit of the moon right to the sky hook yeah if we use sky hooks we don't know how to use sky hooks right we've never done that just a theory and then yeah, that's the thing about Kurtz Gazat videos is they're so optimistic. Uh-huh. It's like, oh yeah, we'll just use that thing that we made a video about earlier. Yeah. That we have proven theoretically right. could be done. Yeah. So it was just like, yep, just go grab that moon. That's by the way, a moon of Jupiter. Right. Which is like farther Hundreds than anyone of, has ever yeah. gone before. Millions of miles away. <laughs> yeah. Grab all the ice, slingshot it back over to Venus. Mm-hmm. And like the difference between Venus and Jupiter is pretty yeah. far. And just not hit anything and magically make it so it lines <laughs> up with all the hooks and gets yep. placed gently into the atmosphere to become snow. Yep. Like, and create enough ocean to be an entire planet. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of where it falls apart for me. Yeah. Like this is a difficult project. It's a lot of water. And then at the end of this, all they say, hey, once we get, you know, Venus terraformed and we live here, we can just take that CO2 moon we made and throw that at Mars and start putting <laughs> CO2 on Mars to make an atmosphere there. So this is like 
a stellar game of like throwing things at other planets. <laughs> we really just need to invent teleportation. Yeah, that like would large save a lot of teleportation. I wonder how long it would take if you like railgunned some ice into space. Like six months later, the ice gets to Venus, like going a million miles an hour. Right. Just like, and just like blasts a hole in whatever is there. Yeah, there's a lot of calculations that have to take place to make this yeah. safe. <laughs> oh, oh boy! Man. But it is entertaining to think about. Yeah, that piece of ice would just see more than I could ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on. We've established that it's possible and probably not going to happen. For Theoretically, a long time. <laughs> not in our lifetime for no, sure. No. Okay. Let's let's have a debate. Yes. So in the past, a long time ago, we b- mentioned briefly. I think while we were camping, we talked about bringing an e-reader, but mm-hmm. I brought a book, uh-huh. and I was like, uh, "Books are better." And you were like, uh, "E-readers are better." And I was like, "We'll talk about that later." And while we're talking about it now, later is now. So, you think e-readers are better? I do. I think the books are better. Wow. I think e-readers have their place in the world, but I really think that there's no purpose to a specific e-reader because everyone has a phone. Mm. And a lot of people have some sort of tablet sort of device that mm-hmm. kind of fills the void of an e-reader. Sure. But when it comes down to it, I think if you're going to read a lot of words, you want, <laughs> a, you want it on a book. That's I I just think that that's a more enjoyable experience. I can get into some of my more finite points of why books are better, like physical books are better than ebooks. But would you care to rebuttal the intro to my debate? Yes, I would care to rebuttal your debate intro. Um, I think the biggest thing that I'm gonna re- rebuke not rebuke. <laughs> rebuke you (laughs) but i'm gonna push back on is the idea that a phone or an ipad is a suitable reading device and i would disagree i think reading a book on your phone or your ipad is just the worst okay um and it's because the way you know those type of devices work you know tablets and laptops and phones um is they've got a backlit lcd screen and so there's a screen that you know changes pixels and then it shines light from behind it through the screen to show colors and then that hits your eyes. And so basically when you're looking at like a laptop screen or an iPhone screen or any kind of basically any kind of modern device, you're just staring into a light. And that's fine for watching TV. You know, it's it's still not great for your eyes, especially long term. Like you're supposed to look away and mm-hmm. look at things that aren't digital and like look at a distance. Um, but you know, that's how we get those beautiful colors and all those, like, bright lights, and it looks so nice. Um, but then when you're focusing, when you're, like, trying to read and you're, like, kind of intent and you're, you know, skimming for hours, it gets really kind of painful to look at and it strains your eyes and it gives you a headache and it's just not fun. Whereas with an e-reader, it's similar to a book and you get, typically, e-readers are e-ink screens and the way it works is you've got, like, two segmented planes that are on top of each other and by default the rear plane has this ink in it it's a magnetic ink um and then the front plane is just empty and so that's when it's a white screen and then the way an e-reader works is when it tries to draw on the display and it tries to show an image it will magnetize specific pixels on the front plane and pull that magnetic ink forward and store it in the front plane so then it becomes black um and so the nice thing about this is there's no light shining from behind the screen. So a lot of times they're unilluminated or it'll have like a illumination light built into the front shining down onto the screen, like away from you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it basically just kind of works like a normal, like book light where it's just shining on the page, if you will, and lighting it up that way. Um, But these are really easier in your eyes because you're basically looking at a paper screen at that point. Like it's just a physical, you know, object in front of you with ink on it. And it works the same in your brain, strain-wise. And so you're not having to look at light. It's not, like, blinding you. It's not straining your eyes as much. And it's really interesting. And the nice thing about that, too, is they are really battery-efficient because once that specific pixel is magnetized, that ink will just stay there forever until it needs to change. And so the only time they use battery is to change a page. So that's why something like a Kindle has a battery life of, like, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 days of use 
and they'll sit for, you know, like months and not die. Like I think my Kindle in there I charged like two and a half months ago and I've just left it on the screensaver and it's not using any power like when it's on the screensaver because it's just like a static image. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's the, that's the cool innovation and that's why using an e-reader is such a nice experience over using like your phone. Cause I did, I tried to read like, I think when I first started reading Lord of the Rings, I tried to read it on my iPad and I got like a chapter and I was like, I can't do this. Like I have to read the physical book, but now I've got a Kindle and I always reach for my Kindle first. So what you're saying is an e-reader is trying its best to be like a book. Yes. But pretty much <laughs> because a book is the ideal experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, but good. Like to know yes, that. I'm going to yes, keep going. Yes. Um, I think, I mean, paper books are cheaper than e-readers, and they always will be because first you have to buy an e-reader, which is like $100 yeah. or $300, depending on what you get and what kind of features it has and if it can access the internet and if you have to download it from whatever and plug it into whatever and however you get the book. Also, licenses of e-books are more expensive because you always you don't have a choice you are always buying a new book and you're buying a license which is technically a rental when you buy a paper book either you're buying a new book and then you own that book or what most savvy book readers do is buy a used copy of something you can get cop like you can get books that are you know 25 35 dollars new for 8 dollars in a used bookstore and granted, you can't always find them in your local bookstore, which is, of course, what you should be doing is shopping local. <laughs> but on something like um, like reused bookstore websites, right. you can find um, like purchase pre-owned options on those like merchandise pages. Right. So you can pretty much always make reading a cheaper hobby f- in the physical book form. Right. Than the ebook form, right? Which I think is an important thing because reading should be accessible, sure, for everyone. But I would say, just like with physical books, you can use a library. You can also use the library on ebooks. Like there are ebook libraries. Pretty much any library in the country has access to some sort of ebook library, whether it's like Libby or OverDrive or you know, sure. something like that. And so there are ways to get free. Or very cheap ebooks. Um, a lot of times you can also buy directly from the author and buy like the PDF version of their book for like two dollars. And a lot of the times the reason it's expensive is when you go through like, you know, Nook Store or Amazon or whatever, Amazon's taking such a big cut of those books that the authors have to price them similar to like a paperback to be able to make a decent margin on them. Um, but there are ways I think of working on it. The downside is like with a paper book you just buy it and that's it and you can read it but with buying like cheap off store ebooks or like doing a library thing you kind of have to be more tech savvy and you have to know how to set it up you have to know how to load books on and like manage your library on an sd card and it does get more complicated but i would argue that if you're the type of person who wants to buy an e-reader over a normal book then you'll be able to do that anyway yeah i I would agree that it's slightly more complicated and a lot of e-readers do have a a large-ish memory yeah and books don't take up that much but you do still have to somewhat manage your library right if you are the kind of person that reads a lot of books yeah um according to research done by the shallows which is a research corporation um specifically run by a guy named nicholas carr Readers retain more information when they read a physical book because the act of turning pages creates sort of like an index in the brain, mapping information where where in the book you pr- like particularly looked at pages. Right. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's this thing called Battle of the Books, where kids in like elementary school will read. Their team is responsible for reading 10 or 15 books and then they're quizzed on it and they compete against another team to answer questions from the book. And you have to remember the title of the book and the author of the book. So they'll Mm -hmm. say like, uh, in which book 
uh, did a character wear a red hat when going to visit their aunt or whatever? And you say, oh, that was so-and-so book by the author. Right. And if you can give the right answer or give the wrong answer, but then prove that it was right and go and show you in the book where it right. was, you get double points. Wow. And this act of indexing in the brain, like I remember that was in chapter two because right. I was in the car reading chapter two. Right. I, I don't experience that at all while reading on an e-reader. And I have right. read a couple of books on my iPad cause I do use Libby. Yeah. Um, and, but I don't have an e-reader. Right. Um, because it's all just like the exact same thing. You just turn a page and it's the same. You don't like yeah. feel it differently in right. your hands, like as the book right. changes size. And so I I understand this and I would agree that there is kind of an indexing right. feeling and also a feeling of accomplishment as you get right. through a book. Because you can see the progress. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's always like, the, of course, the there's progress that progress bar, bar yeah. but it doesn't feel the same. Also, because sometimes that progress bar is like, all right, you've read, you're on page 37 out of 481 or whatever. And it's like, I don't need to remember that every single page. Right. Yeah. I think the way that I kind of help myself retain with an ebook and something that's definitely an advantage over a normal book is I'll take notes on specific parts of books or whatever. Um, And that's really easy on an ebook. So you just like highlight the passage you want to take a note on and you can just put a note in. And sure, you could like, take a note on, you know, a notepad or like write in the margins or whatever, but there's a limit to how much you can do. And especially if it's a book I'm reading for information, I'm going to have a lot of notes. And then after that point, like not only am I indexing better in my brain, but it's also like physically indexed and I can just search specific terms in my notes and it's going to pull up that passage about what I was thinking about. So technically it might retain less in my brain, but it's also become more efficient for me to refine that information later. So... Mm. Note-taking is nice. I used uh, digital books for almost all of my textbooks in college, uh-huh. and it was nice to be able to control F for the whole textbook. Right, yeah, super nice. I think the other I'll thing is, that one. in regards to, like, I do love, like, seeing the progress as you go through a book and, like, one side gets thinner and the other side gets thicker. The downside to that, though, if you like to, like, read in bed, like I do, like when I read, I'm basically always in bed, and... For me, I'm like a side sleeper and side reader, and so I like to be on my side. And it's really nice, like, because I'm on my left side, so it's really nice to read, like, the right pages in the book. But then when I turn the page and have to, like, read the left page, then I have to, like, tip the book over and use my muscles to hold it up, which is, like, such a petty thing. (laughs) But it honestly annoyed me so much, like, to the point where when I was reading more, you know, back in school, I bought one of those, like, book holder openers, you know, that you like wedge in the page cracks mm-hmm. and it holds the book so that I didn't have to like wedge the book open and hold it up on its side so that when I was on my left side reading the left pages, it was less effort. And with an ebook, I can just hold it with one hand, lie on my left side and never have to readjust. So I'd say there's pros and cons, but to me, the like not having to hold the book up is a huge pro. Okay. <laughs> I'd say that one's more personal. <laughs> okay, I kind of hinted at this one a little bit earlier, but when you buy an ebook, you're not buying it. And so there's a, usually a lot of limitations on how you can distribute it. And yeah. in fact, you usually can't. And when you buy a physical book, one of the joys of buying a physical book is being able to share it with other people. Sure. And I really like doing that. And you can't do that with an ebook. You can't like, share your license with other right. people. You can't you can't like take it out of your library and send it to right. someone else's library. Which doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. Like if you bought a license you should be able to remove it from one library and put it right. in another library. But that just isn't a function because right. they want to sell more. Yeah. I think with the Kindle store, they just added that recently. Like it might not be any random person ever, but it's, you know, family and friends you can share your license with. <laughs> That's if you want to, like, be a law-abiding citizen and follow every single copyright rule and everything in, like, forever. You know, it, okay. it's one of those things where it's like, technically, yes, I spent $10 and bought a license and I don't technically own this book, but I'm going to give Riley a PDF copy of it because 
like this is a dumb law and I don't care. <laughs> well, a lot of the times I either know the writer or respect the writer. Right. And so it for some reason it feels more like stealing to rip a Copy PDF yeah. than to just loan my like physical copy. Right. I know those technically are the same right. thing, but it just feels more like piracy right. to... Well, because the issue is there's you've made two copies then. Once you copy it, yeah. technically you've duplicated the book. Um, and like if... I mean, there's ways to like, I think morally get around it. Like, oh, I'm going to copy this PDF, send it to you, delete my copy, and then once you're done, you send it back to me and delete your... Like, if you want to get pedantic about it, I think there's yeah. ways around it. But the fact of it is we're like in a digital age and information generally is freely accessible to everybody. And there's always going to be a degree of, like, inefficiency there. You know, like, there's no perfect copyright protection. There's no perfect digital rights management. There's no way to make everyone, even when it was just printed books, there's no way for everyone to have to buy your book. Like, people share books. People would photocopy books or take pictures of it or, sure. you know, even transcribe it or whatever. So I think it's just a different, you know way of thinking about it and i agree like if it's an artist that i really want to support i'll just buy another copy and send it to somebody you know um but then there's you know i think the nice thing is there are especially for information heavy books small snippets of a book that i need and i don't necessarily want to buy the whole book and like read the whole book i just need like one little piece of information and it's really nice to just be able to like get a free sample or a copy or something or get it from the digital library and be able to look at that and have access to any book ever, you know, because I could go to a physical library and do that, but they have, you know, 20,000 books or whatever out of millions of books ever written. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have, you know, unlimited access to whatever I need in that sense. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I think about that. But <laughs> Sure. Okay, my last comment is that I just think that physical books look nice on a bookshelf. Mm, they do. And in my room, I have a bookshelf with books on them, and it's my favorite yeah. furniture piece. It's my favorite little corner of aestheticism yeah. in my whole room. Yeah. I would definitely agree with you 100%. Books are like classy decor. Yeah. And I think most people would agree. And the reason I know this is because <laughs> there's a website called Books by the Foot, and you literally just buy like books by the linear foot, and they'll ship you like 16 feet of books so you can fill your bookshelf with books. Like, like old? Just any book. Just, just random books, whatever books. They're not like you're not buying them for the content, which to me seems kind of like wrong in a way. <laughs> you're just buying books for decoration and not for like to read or to care about the information. But it is true that books are like a statement piece. They're like a decor. It's a specific vibe you get with books. Yeah. And you know, there's well-educated, well-read people who have bookshelves full of books that they've read and information they've gained. And then there's also, you know, plebeians who just spent $30 on six feet of books <laughs> and just shoved them on their shelf. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you got to be able to answer questions about the right. books on your yeah. shelf. Right. <laughs> but I would agree. You know what would be baller, though, is if instead of a bookshelf of like 300 books, someone had a bookshelf of like 300 Kindles and each Kindle oh. only had one book on it. <laughs> that would not be baller. That would be a... Waste of money. When I'm I, but I thought you were going to say was 300 Kindles and they were all full of books. That would be super That would be baller. like a thousand books. That'd be, that'd be way more than a thousand books. How many books can you get on a Kindle? I think on like a Kindle's eight gigs and a book is usually, like if it's just text, usually like 20 kilobytes. So you can fit like six billion books on a Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably fit all of the books ever written on 300 Kindles. <laughs> All right, never mind then. Okay. I still believe that physical books are better. I think you still believe that yeah. ebooks are better. Well, we didn't even get into the whole debate about when you're going camping. Yeah. How it's nice to have a light. And I a brought a really weight. big book yeah. when we went camping. Yeah. Um, I just am going to stare at the grass while we camp. Okay. Um, Deal. But you, dear listener, you have to be the judge. Yep. Make your own decisions. Yeah. Okay. Last week we talked about boats and uh last episode we talked about rafting we did and so it's only fitting that we continue the circle yes since we're in the summertime yes. to talk about 
other water sports. Now, I've got a list here of a bunch of weird ones, and I've got another list, if we have time later, about kind of just regular ones. Okay. And I'd like to start off with the weirder of the weird ones. Okay. Horse surfing. <laughs> so, so there's a guy <clears throat> on a horse, kind of on the shore. Sure. And he's got a rope, and the other guy holding the rope is on like a wakeboard kind of thing. <laughs> so the horse is going as fast as the horse can. Right. And the guy holding the rope away from the horse is on a wakeboard just, you know, living his life. Yeah. I guess you could be on like water skis or yeah. something else, but I just, I mean, horses go that fast that they you could know. like wakeboard behind them? I mean, I guess it's just, yeah, pre-industrial water skiing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think like, because how fast can horses run? They can. Humans can run 20 miles an hour. We've established this because think, Riley's think, run 20 miles an yeah, hour. Yeah, I have. Maybe even more. Maybe like 21 or 2. Maybe. It was inaccurate speed measurement because we yeah. were just running next to a van. But I'm going to look up how fast Usain Bolt run. goes, I think, 28 miles an hour. Wow, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Horses can go 55 miles an hour. Okay. Which is faster than most boats because most like water ski boats can go like, I think the average for just like a, you know, runabout run-of-the-mill boat is like 45 knots, which conversion knots Knots to miles per hour. (laughs) So 45 knots is like 50 miles an hour, and that's maxed out. So horses can run faster than most boats. Wow. So there you go. But that's if you're like really pushing the horse. And that's like it's hard to tell if horses have enough torque to like carry two people, one in the water. Yeah, like boats have a lot of torque, so we that's might be asking, torque limited here. That's that's asking a lot of the horse. Yeah, this horse only has one horsepower. <laughs> yeah, it's not powerful. Boats have like three hundred horsepower, so we need three hundred horses in a line pulling one water ski. I still think it could happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if it's a sport, it's happened. Yeah, it's happened at least twice because there's two pictures on this <laughs> website. <laughs> okay, here's another weird one: kayak surfing. It's just that it's surfing. With a kayak rather than a surfboard. Like you stand on a kayak? No, you sit in a kayak, Mm. you go to waves, like paddle into the wave, and then you're in a kayak Hmm. in like a wave. I feel like this would be way easier than normal surfing. Probably. There are people who surf with an SUP, stand-up paddleboard, and it's easier because you've got a paddle to like direct yourself and you can, you know, squat kind of. Yeah, more stable. Yeah, so... I feel like it might be scarier though because you can't or really like bail. Of it, yeah. You can't really bail from a kayak. Like you, a surfboard, you fall off, you're just out of yeah. the surfboard. You're never yeah. really in a surfboard. But a kayak, you got to be able to like flip. You've got to be able to roll really yeah. well or bail quickly. I've seen like whitewater kayakers practicing bailing, um, and it's it just becomes something that they practice like hours at a time because. They wear like a spray skirt, Mm -hmm. like a neoprene thing that goes around their waist and attaches to the kayak. And so when you flip over in a whitewater kayak and you're like upside down, you have to reach behind you and like detach the spray skirt and you have to run both your thumbs along the whole like deck of the kayak to detach the skirt from the kayak. And then you have to like, there's this motion where you like grab the rails and like invert your body so that your like butt swings out and then you end up with your hands above your head. So you're right side up under the kayak, and then you kind of pivot up around it and pop your head out of the water. So there's this whole like super fluid motion that they do to like bail on a kayak. And once it's practiced, it's like half a second. It's just like pull, rip, flip, and then you're out. Um, but that's not something that just like the average person who's got like a kayak and wants to go get in the waves would no, know how oh, to do. No. <laughs> no, you should definitely practice all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> and I would imagine a lot of the times they just roll. Yeah. You know, or hopefully just stay upright. Right. But, I mean, the people kayak on the ocean all, all the time. Yeah. So this is just a more extreme version of that. The funny thing is the worst part of ocean kayaking is like the first 20 feet of waves. And that's basically the only place these this specific branch of kayaking is. So <laughs> right. it's kind of funny. <laughs> right. This doesn't seem like a sport, but it's on this list. Snorkeling with whales. <laughs> Is that a sport now? <laughs> I th- just Where's like the competition. <laughs> I think this guy's with um. What's the vegetarian whale? 
I guess a lot of them are. Beluga? <laughs> Maybe they all are. <laughs> orcas aren't. Orcas eat like seals and stuff. Well, I guess, I mean, blue whale technically krill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Swim away. See, I'm convinced <clears throat> that fish are vegetables. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about snorkeling with whales besides the fact that it's snorkeling with whales. So we're just going to move on. Cool. You ever heard of an underwater scooter? Oh, yeah. Is it like one of those propeller things you hold in front of you? Yeah. Yes. No, it's, it's oh, like... Oh, you ride on it. It's like you sit on it and you've got like this weird half bubble tank thing <laughs> around your head. And it's propelled by a little fan on the back of the scooter that you sit on. And you just are... I think you're attached to a boat or something, but you just... It's for people who I guess can't swim. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't just like snorkel. Why you wouldn't just go scuba diving. This is probably a lot faster than just swimming around. But why would you need to go fast? This is to enjoy like the fish and the coral and the marine probably life. Probably just to get around to more places because you're limited on air. Like I've seen these ones that are like personal and they've got handles and you hold them in front of you. It's got like a propeller in it and it just pulls you along. But they'll do like, you know, 15 or 20 miles an hour. And it's just so that you can get around when you're underwater quicker. Hmm. That seems like something that, um, like, Navy SEALs would use. Yeah, I think they do use something like that. That's cool. Yeah. They have them at Target. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the Navy SEAL level ones. But. Probably not. Very similarly, there's also sea walking, which is just like, you know, you put, like, a diver's helmet on but nothing else, and then you just go down... And walk on the bottom of the ocean for a little bit. I don't know how you get air. Maybe you're also connected to like a little tube. Like the old school scuba divers with the <laughs> 1800s head yeah. helmet I mean, thing. you could, but this picture is just like three women with regular <laughs> looking helmets. Yeah. Kind of like astronaut helmets. Hmm. But it, it looks like they only have the amount of air in their right. helmet. Like you they're can not... do it for like a picture and then you're done. <laughs> yeah. And you better hope you don't tip your head too far to the side and let it all out. Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's just a typo. This says snuba diving. <laughs> I was like, what is that? I've never heard of snuba that. <laughs> okay. Also on this list is underwater hockey, which we've talked about we before. Have. Yeah. So uh, go back and listen to whatever episode that was. Good luck. Listen to all of them and then yeah. figure out which one it is and email us. <laughs> um, flyboarding. You ever heard of flyboarding? Is it like fly fishing on a board? No, it's like you got two jets of water under your feet. Oh. And you're sh- you like shoot out of the water and you've seen this. I have seen it, yeah. You've yeah. seen it. You're and you like do tricks. There's yeah. like a competition now. It's a big enough really? sport that there are there's at least one competition. Huh. And like, so there's a flyboard champion of the world now. Wow. I don't know who it is, obviously, but yeah, there's like tricks that you can do and you can like do spins and backflips and cause you can go, I think like 10 or 20 yeah. or 30 feet in the air. I think you hold something that controls how yeah, much, like the jets. Yeah. How much propulsion you have. And so you do a combination of controlling the, propul- the like power mm-hmm. with angling your body to move right. around in the air it's pretty cool yeah i would love to try this it'd but. be pretty cool i th- i feel like it would be really difficult mm-hmm. I, i'm sure you've seen that video of the um, like the newscaster <laughs> on one of those he's like and now it's time to go back to you he just like slams, <laughs> like slams into the water yeah because yeah, if you like twitch a little bit then all of a sudden your jet is pointing the wrong way and you're just smashing into the ground yeah <laughs> good times uh, i'll uh, try it that's a good video um, there's something called spinnaker flying, which is like you're in a really big parachute attached to a seat and you're not, you're not like, you know, those like parachutes that in a seat that attach to a boat and yeah. the boat pulls you. Yeah. It's like that, but without the boat. So you just like, how do you get in the no, air? No, I'm sorry. There is okay. a cable. I was like, how it's do just, you... it's just like basically clear in this picture. Gotcha. So it's just the name of that activity. Yeah, cool. Spinnaker flying. Hmm. Fun. I would do it. I think it would be okay. I, I don't know. I've always seen the like horror stories though of like people in like Singapore, shall we say, 
um, who like have negligent boat drivers and the boat drivers like aren't paying attention and they drive them into like trees or power lines or something like that. And in this, you have no control if you're in the thing. Right. Like you're just floating along behind the boat. So you're just floating and getting electrocuted. <laughs> I don't know that this would be that much fun. Honestly. I think it would be fun for like 10 minutes. I think it would be fun for 10 minutes, but it probably cost $200. Probably. So I think I could find a better way to spend $200. Agreed. Moving on. <laughs> okay, there's this thing called jet surfing. Jet surfing board. I don't... Okay, so I think it's like a board that has a motor. Yes, it's like I'm a, all about this. It's like a uh, wakeboard that yeah. has a motor. So it's like self-propelled wakeboard. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And it looks really intense. This guy's going around a buoy and he has a uh, head head helmet. That's what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Helmet. A helmet on. And um, I guess it's competitive. Oh. But you do it when there's no waves around. Sure. So probably on lakes and stuff. Yeah. Because there's typically waves on the ocean. Typically. They're they're pretty consistent there. Usually. (laughs) Okay. New one. Surf skiing. Surfing, but with like water skis. How is there enough like buoyancy? I don't know how you get going. Yeah, that's a good question. The person in this picture is also carrying poles. <laughs> <laughs> you need those so much. <laughs> like pushing Pulling the water. Pushing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they how you get. Maybe there's like maybe they're extra extra thick or like full of really buoyant material. Yeah. But I don't know how you would get up and control yourself. Because on a surfboard, you get on it. Like paddle yeah. and then pop up. Yeah. But you're a, typically with skis, you're right. attached to Have them. you like herringbone, like push off the water <laughs> and you're like skating? <laughs> yeah, I'm really confused about this. There is a, there is a video. Oh. Should I watch it right yeah, now live on, right now. live on the podcast? Live on the podcast. Okay. It's noises. seven minutes long. Oh, we're not going to watch the whole thing. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't get copyright struck for just this music. Yeah, there we go. Just the music in the background. It's like an interview. This guy is that talking. dude is so dude bro He's looking. He's a pro free skier. He's got those like orange Oakleys that dude bros have, you know? Yeah. Okay, is you're pulled behind. Pulled by a you're boat. pulled by a thing, and then they let go of you right in the nice. wave. So you're boat propelled for a little while. Yeah, until the right moment, and they let go of you. Huh, fun. That makes sense. I still think snow skiing would be more fun, but. I would, I would give this it. a try after I've mastered yeah. water skiing, of course, which, right. as we all know, I'm going to be We're doing pretty do soon. on our own boat. <laughs> um, cliff diving is on this list. I don't know if I'd count that as a water sport. I mean, if there's it's no mostly, water, you're It's screwed. mostly an air sport. <laughs> yeah, except for the last little bit of it. Okay, this one I think is a just a dumb idea. It's called raft rodeo. <laughs> And the idea is that you stand up on a raft through white waters <laughs> and see how long you last. <laughs> How did he die? Oh, he smashed his face on a rock. I know. <laughs> like, the one goal of whitewater rafting is to not fall out of the boat. <laughs> and so the main reason, the main way to not do that is to sit down. Uh, and so this is just a terrible idea. Do not raft rodeo. No, don't stand up in a raft. Uh, we've talked about this before. Canyoning. Do you remember what it is? No. It's basically being in like a padded wetsuit with a helmet <laughs> and sliding down, oh gosh, <laughs> and sliding down like rivers and waterfalls. <laughs> you, you just like, you just like go through gorges and waterfalls and giant rock pools and just and like, like one of those puffy sumo suit things. <laughs> no, you just like in a wetsuit basically and you just kind of like slide down, hmm. you just kind of swim through rivers and kind of go off of little uh, so like extreme swimming <laughs> yeah it's like if you were to whitewater raft without a raft <laughs> that sounds painful yeah it, i'm probably not explaining it very well but look up canyoning i just picture like Someone putting on one of those like inflatable sumo suits and I need just to look throwing up an themselves actual... into a river and floating down it. I need to look up an actual definition. Yeah. But man, I would put myself in a sumo suit and throw myself into a river. That sounds great. 
As long as they have a way of keeping your head from rolling under the water, that's important. Okay, this seems a lot less intense than what I was talking about. Um, but canyoning is traveling in canyons using a variety of techniques that may include walking, scrambling, climbing, jumping, rappelling, and swimming. So basically you just go through canyons <laughs> and like hike through a canyon or down a canyon. It's referred to as canyoneering, canyoning, and canyoneering. <laughs> I like your definition better. <laughs> well, the picture is of a guy like jumping off of a waterfall. Yeah. He's like, I mean, Whoa! if he's swimming through a canyon, that's technically canyoning. Yep. So there you go. There's barefoot water skiing. What I'll accomplish the summer after uh, I you know, master of regular water skiing. Man, every time, oh, I get chills every time someone brings up barefoot water skiing. Because I can just imagine like a little log like right below the surface embedding itself into the bottom of your foot when you roll over it because you didn't know it was there. Oh. I think it would just, you're going so fast, you just, it just obliterates. <laughs> I just picture like the biggest splinter of my life, like a two by four in my foot. In the like gross, dirty lakes around here. Yeah. Yes, you're right. But I'm picturing like the pristine, ah, serene lakes of Michigan. Where you can see it's like 10 feet to the bottom and there's nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. If you did it here, you'd end up with like, you'd hit a sandbar and get like a glass bottle in your foot or something. Yeah. <laughs> I also think you have to go like 70 miles an hour yeah. to do this just to get enough friction yeah. between the water and your foot. And so if you biff it and like water <laughs> goes up your hurt. nose, it just like washes your brain out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay wake skating this is where the wakeboard is not attached to your foot so you oh. like do skateboard tricks with the wakeboard nice. while like doing tricks or like while wakeboarding. Yeah, wakeboarding pretty cool seems intense you have to wear shoes while you do it <laughs> <laughs> like crocs <laughs> no like like vans oh seems hard to like swim skate in vans. shoes yeah you don't swim. You're on a wakeboard. You're doing tricks. But, I mean, you're going to have to swim at some point, like when you biff it. <laughs> I guess. Maybe they're like water socks. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, those toe shoes. Yeah. I don't know if this is a sport either, but cage diving, like where you go down in a cage and look at sharks, that's not really a sport. It's a I sport think if for you the can, sharks. Yeah. I think if, if you can do it like while... Exerting no, <laughs> like no taking pictures and being in Mexico and have just eaten six churros. Yeah, I think that that's not a sport. <laughs> if you can do it as well as a professional with no experience, <laughs> that's not a sport. Yeah, agreed. Plus, there's no competition. I think one of the definitions of sport is it has to be competitive. Yeah, it's not like competitive looking at sharks. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> okay, ice swimming. Of course, just swimming in a really just, you know, really cold water yep, surrounded by ice. Seems meh, not something I'm, I'd be into. It's terrible. Um, and then jet boating, like being on a really fast boat and jetting down rivers specifically, mm. which seems kind of dangerous. Like what if there's just like someone swimming in the river? They're not rich just... enough to have a boat, so <laughs> yeah, they deserve to, to die. That's <laughs> 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 uh, a really mean... Okay, I think <laughs> I think that was enough. I mean, there's like other regular water sports like boat racing and canoeing and fishing and kayaking and rowing and sailing and white water rafting and yachting and whatever. But those were some interesting ones. Those were. I I, I got to tell you. Anyway. Am I ending this podcast? Yes. I am. Thank you for listening to I Heard on a Podcast. We've got new episodes on Mondays and Wednesdays. You can find them on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I think there's one that starts with an O. Overcast. Yes. Overdrive. Uh, Oversack. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to Oversack.com. <laughs> unless you're into that. Um, if you like what you heard, if you, you know someone who likes... Uh, you know terraforming venus or water sports or books send this podcast to them there's got to be someone that you know who likes one of those things yeah um as always you can reach us at i heard it on a podcast at gmail.com oversized.com they probably just sell like oversized bean bags 
I know I know. You're gonna go to it. <laughs> a sack with blunt just to see. 